And this morning, in kind of light of that, I want to talk to you about an experience that we all go through in our lives. Maybe you haven't gone through it in this point in your life, but maybe at some point you will. But it's something we all deal with. And it's not something that just Christians deal with. It's something that every human deals with. But in light of being a follower of Jesus, there is a greater purpose in this that we all deal with. This is, a, this is an experience that nobody is exempt from. Nobody can escape it. Nobody gets a, a, a get-out-of-jail-free card from this experience. It's something we all deal with. And it's something that over the past year we have learned in our own different ways and contexts and lives how to deal with. And maybe you haven't learned how to deal with. Maybe it's just been something that's bothering you and keeping you. And that's very reasonable. This morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about a subject that we don't preach about often, but it is necessary for Christian formation, and that's suffering. Suffering. All of us here today as believers, God has a purpose for suffering in our lives. And you might be here this morning, and you're going through a very troublesome time, and it's a very difficult time, but I just want to be a messenger of encouragement to you today that God makes the most of suffering. And you're going to see why today. That there is something that God does through suffering that is a necessary part of our Christian formation. And it is a beautiful process if you'll follow it carefully in your life. It's a process that God does not waste because He knows how much it hurts us. Did you hear that today? It's a process that God does not waste because he knows how much it hurts us. But it's a process that he makes the most of to bring glory and honor to his name. And suffering is an experience that every human on the face of earth since the fall of man has dealt with. Every person deals with suffering. Every person goes through times in their life that are difficult, some more than others, some greater than others. But that doesn't excuse the fact that we all go through suffering. And this past year has been a year of suffering for many. Some have grieved losses of people that were dear to them, suffering. Some have had great difficulties and pains and situations and medical problems in their lives that brought on suffering. And all of that to show that suffering is a universal part of the human life. It is a part of who we are. But this morning I want to show you a biblical mindset of suffering. To show you how God can use something so despicable as suffering for His glory. And of course as we talk about suffering, there is no better person to talk about suffering than to look at the man named Job. In Job chapter 1. just want to read this one verse about Job at the beginning of his life. And if you're familiar with the story of Job, uh, I'll, I'll, you, you'll know a lot about this, but I'll fill you in in just a moment, if not. In Job chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, and is very careful to state, in the beginning of the life of Job, notice that this is the beginning verse in the story of suffering. Take note of that. The Bible doesn't put things in accident where they're at. This is what marks the story of suffering. And here it is. There was once a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright. One who feared God and turned away from evil. Note here this morning as we're talking about suffering. 
that Job was a man who was about to endure a terrible turmoil in his life, a terrible experience, a terrible losses, and great pain and agony brought on in his life. He would experience grief. He would experience medical problems. He would experience loss of all the things he ever had. And in his life, in the beginning of his life, was a life that was marked by a blameless and upright life. Job lived a righteous life. And this is important for us to understand because sometimes when we talk about suffering, we have kind of this mindset, and it was in the New Testament as well, that suffering is the result of something we did or something that happened or whatever. But we see here today that you can be in all of the earth the most righteous person in the world, and you're still not exempt from suffering. Because suffering is not characteristic of who we were created to be. Suffering is characteristic of our human world, which is fallen by sin. When, when you and I, taken back in our great ancestors, Adam and Eve, made the decision to sin, sin came upon the earth, and so did the depravity of mankind. And so therefore, what followed right speedily after that was great grief, sorrow and suffering that would happen to you and I. And the original suffering started when Adam and Eve were cast outside of the garden, the dwelling place of God's glory. That was the beginning of suffering, was distance from God. And so now we see here, and we'll come back to that thought in a moment, that suffering in Job's life, he was blameless, he was upright. And it had nothing to do with him or his life. Now, there are some times in our lives, don't get me wrong, when we do some things that are reckless that bring about some unnecessary suffering. And you know what I'm talking about. But this kind of dispels the notion. As you see later on in the Gospel of John, there was a man who was born blind from birth. And, they, and the disciples saw him and they asked Jesus the question. Because he was blind, they said, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus responded quickly, and he said, Neither. This was so that the glory of God may be revealed. So it shows us that in our mindset, our human thinking, is that we equate suffering with conditional problems in our lives, like sin. But suffering has no respect for sin. Suffering is characteristic to our world and our nature of where we are. So be careful when you're talking about suffering today, and this is, gives us a premise as we look at Job's life, an important part of Job's life. So he was an upright man. He was righteous. He was blameless. We're all on the same page. The Bible even goes as far to say that he turned away from all evil. The story goes on to tell us that he had a beautiful farm, lots of animals and great possessions. He had a big family, a beautiful family. He had all the things that he could ever possibly have in his life. And really what his story marks is in, in Hebraic literature, it marks the threefold sign of biblical blessings. He had goods, family, and faithfulness. He was faithful to God. He had a beautiful family, and he had possessions in his life. He was what would be considered in the biblical times and probably even in our world today, he was blessed. He was blessed. He was what we understand as being called blessed. All of the things he had in his life, he was blessed. Yet, the Bible goes on to tell us that Job began to lose it all. He lost his children. He lost his possessions. 
He lost all that he had. He even took on great pain in his body and medical problems going on. You can read all about that in Job chapter 1. It's a, it's a story that you could preach from days from it. But we're going to look at this a little bit different today. Because sometimes what happens in suffering is we lose sight of the process of what is going on in the, pro in the process of suffering. But sometimes when you step back and you take the 30,000 view perspective and you look down on the process of suffering, you can understand why God uses this process. So now, we're, we started, look, we started in the beginning of Job's life, and now we're going to go to the end of his long process of suffering in Job chapter 42. 42 chapters later, of Job's problems and agony that go on and on and on. And now here we arrive at the end of his process of suffering. And what Job says is very insightful and profound to what happens in the process of suffering and how God uses it for his glory. In Job 42, Job answered the Lord, the Bible says, I know that you can do all things. Notice what he said. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. The first statement that Job said coming through a ringer of suffering was I know that God can do all things and that it doesn't matter what happens in this world, there is no purpose of God that can be stopped. I know that you can do all things. Remember, this is just what Job just experienced. He lost his children. He lost all that he had. He took on pain in his body, boils, pain, attacks come against him all the time. He had some friends that were some very bad discouragers in his life. And at the end of it all, Job says, I know that you can do all things, God. And I know that there is no purpose of yours that can be thwarted. It doesn't matter if an attack comes from Satan and it doesn't matter if I lose everything. I know, God, that on the end of suffering, you can do all things. And sometimes what God does in suffering is to convince you and I that when we go through life and when we get through the struggles of pain and the process of enduring great difficulty is so that you and I will stand on the other side of suffering fully convinced and knowing that God can do all things. That there is nothing too hard for God. So he goes on to say, Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Oh, let's listen to this for a moment. Job talks about the mysteries of God. He says, I've uttered what I didn't understand. I said things and they didn't even make sense. They were too wonderful for me. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been through some suffering in my life, and I'm sure you have too, and I didn't exactly call those things wonderful. But Job said, those are things that were too wonderful for me. Now, listen, once you understand where Job has come to in his life, you'll understand why he said these things too wonderful for me. He says, hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you declare to me. And notice what he says in verse 5. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Notice how Job, in the beginning of his life, remember, once again, the Bible says he was blameless and upright. He had heard of God by the hearing of his ear. But now Job, as he has endured the worst pain 
imaginable, probably questionably the worst pain in all of the Bible stories there was, is that now he can say, I don't just hear of you with my ear, but I see you. And now you can understand why Job says, things too wonderful for me. Because what God does in suffering is a miracle in and of itself. That suffering as believers, suffering in the Christian life, is a necessary part of our Christian formation, and God uses it for His glory. Let's look at 1 Peter 4.12 for a moment. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, and this is Peter preaching to the church that is going through some persecution, as many of the New Testament letters were writing in times of. But yet it's still a lesson that can teach us about suffering. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's suffering so that you also may be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. Here is Peter in the ridiculous Job theology for a moment. That somehow on the other side of suffering, there's a shout for joy. What is wrong with these biblical writers that they can talk about suffering in such a way? It's painful. It's difficult. It brings out the worst in us, the tears, the agony, the grief, all the things. But yet somehow these people who walked lives of following Jesus understood that when you go through what God intended you to go through, that somehow on the other side of that is that there may be gladness and a shout for joy. If they see that, if the writers of the Bible, the people who went through worse suffering than probably any of us have gone through in this room, being persecuted for their faith, if they can see that, then there ought to be something you and I can see in the process of suffering. And this is what I want to talk to you about this morning, is glory revealed. Glory revealed. And that was Peter's word to the church that was going through persecuting times was that he could stand up and say to them that be careful when you're going through this that you're going to be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. This was similar to what Job said. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. You see, what God does in the process of suffering is this process of discovering the glory of God in our lives. And this is what Peter writes right here. He puts right here. He says that his glory may be revealed. It's the Greek word which means doxa. It's the worthy praise, the dignity, the glory, and honor of God. And he said that this was intended... And James writes similar writings and many of the other writes similar ways showing that what God does in the process of the fiery trial is ultimately to reveal His glory. What does that mean to reveal His glory? What does that mean? You know, I, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I go through my life and I read things in the Bible and I say, God, what does that mean for your glory to be revealed? What does that mean? How does that make worth the pain and the agony I deal, I deal with in suffering, make it worth it all in the end? If the writers of the Bible could shout for joy and see because his glory is revealed, then maybe there's something here that you and I can understand. And suffering in the life of the believer is the process to discover the glory of God in our lives. And Peter understood this well. Because he himself had went through times of suffering, being imprisoned for the gospel. 
And ultimately, the tradition tells us that he was crucified upside down for the sake of the gospel. Peter understood that on the other side of his suffering was God's visible presence in his life. Now go back to the garden for a moment. When we talked about suffering, the worst part of suffering is distance from God. There's nothing like it. There is nothing like being separated from God forever. That's what makes eternity so scary and the decisions we make. Because the idea of a place where you are separated from God forever is the worst imaginable suffering that could ever be endured. And so therefore, for Adam and Eve to be kicked out of the place where God's glory was present and evident was the worst imaginable suffering that had come into their lives. And it was a result of their fallen nature, their sin, and their sinful world that we were now living in, and the choices that you and I have made as humans. But yet somehow God wanted to show his glory in that process. So let's just a few things about suffering today. Number one, Jesus relates to suffering. Jesus relates to suffering. You might say to me, Charlie, how does the Son of God relate to suffering? If he is 100% God, how does he relate to suffering? Well, I hope for a moment that you'll consider his humanity for a moment. That he was 100% man. Beaten, bruised, and chastised for us, you and I. Jesus endured the pain, the shame of a cross, nailed to it, hung there, endured long times of periods of suffering, physical suffering, mental suffering. And the greatest suffering that Jesus spoke of, even on the cross, was the same type of suffering that I just told you about a moment ago, was when he threw back his head and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The greatest idea and part of suffering for Jesus on the cross was that he had been forsaken by his father. And that shows us and is proof to us that there is no suffering like being separated from God. It's painful. It's agony. It's misery. Because you and I were not created. Listen to me today. You and I were not created to live distant from God. Nobody in this room was created to live distant from God. You and I were created to live in union and fellowship with God Almighty. That's why God sent His Spirit. That's why God sent his spirit to dwell in us and be with us so that you and I could have relationship with the Father. So Jesus relates to suffering as Isaiah 53 tells us the man of sorrows, the words about the man of sorrows, that he was despised and rejected by others. He was a man of sufferings and acquainted with infirmity. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. If anybody understands suffering in the world, it's Jesus. If anybody understands the pain and agony that all of us go through in life, it's Jesus. But somehow in our lives... What happens when we go through suffering is that we begin to put distance between ourselves and God. Sometimes suffering can either work one of two ways. You'll either run to God or you'll run from God. But what Jesus does in suffering is shows us that in the worst part of the human experience, hear this today, in the worst part of the human experience that God can redeem even that for his glory to show us the best of creation, his glory. 
That God can take what was absolutely the most miserable and agonizing part of all of our lives and somehow he redeems it to show us his best of his best of his best, his very visible presence in our lives. Now, if Jesus relates to suffering, if he knows that in and of itself very well, he was tested in all points like we were. He knows every part of suffering in this room today. He knows the mental suffering. He knows the physical suffering. He knows the emotional suffering. He knows it all. That's why Isaiah said he was despised. He was rejected. He was a man of suffering. He was acquainted with infirmity. He knew it all very well. And if the Son of God knew suffering so well that in the seasons of our lives where we suffer and the seasons of our lives where you just want to cry and in the seasons of our lives when you're in pain and in agony and you wonder how in the world am I going to make it out of this, don't you think the smartest thing in the world would be to grow closest to the one who knows suffering better than anyone in the world? He was a man of suffering, a man of suffering. He wore stripes on his back, nails in his hands, beard plucked, crown of thorns put on his head. Even before all of that, every time he went and tried to show his love, he was kicked out of towns and run out. He knew isolation very well. He knew what it was to have people make fun of him and laugh at him. He knew what it was to be the talk of the town. But yet he did it anyways. He was a man of sufferance. And God redeems, or rather Jesus came to give himself as a sacrifice amidst a suffering world to be in relation to the full human experience and life. Jesus came to suffer for our redemption, but Jesus also came to suffer to relate to our experience. If Jesus had not endured suffering, then you and I might question his relatability to our lives. But when Jesus, the Son of God, who knew all of the points of suffering very well and endured it for you and I, then you and I can look at Jesus and say, He knows me. He knows what I feel. He knows what I'm going through. He knows what I'm dealing with. And therefore, like Hebrews says, since we, we have a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, he says to them, then let us therefore approach the throne of grace. If you can go to the throne of grace, you can go to the one who knows you're suffering very well. So Jesus relates to suffering. And secondly this morning, as we have kind of hinted on today, is that God's glory is found. God's glory is found. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. You see what Job went through. Remember, he started his life as a blameless, an upright man. But yet somehow that wasn't enough in his life. Yet somehow he didn't have the relationship with God that God really intended him to have. This tells us something about our lives as people is that it doesn't matter if you live a good life, a right life, a human life. What God is, considered, is concerned about is that you and I live lives that are focused upon Him. And that was the goal, and that was the process of Job's suffering, was that God's glory could be found. He said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. 
You see, suffering shows us something. is that God is present and near in the pain and the difficulty that we go through. And what God wants to do through suffering is for you and I to go through the process of suffering where we find out that when it gets really hard, hear me today, my friend, that when it gets really difficult and when you don't know where else to turn or who else to turn to, is that you can realize that God's enough for you. It goes back to the garden. And it was what he wanted Adam and Eve to find all along before they fell, was to know that they didn't need to take up some other tree. He was enough for them. He was the sustainer of their life. His glory was all that he, they needed. It was the joy of the garden. It was the life. It was what brought happiness. It was brought great pleasure to their lives. It was God's glory in their lives moving and working amongst them. There was nothing better than God's glory on the earth. Think of the best thing you can think of in the life and then magnify it times a million. That's God's glory on the earth. And what God wanted to show them in the process of suffering is that when you and I go through the difficulties and the worst part of the human experience, we go through the bottom of the valley of the shadow of death to find that even in the worst of circumstances that there is a God who is very present and real and I know who my Redeemer lives and Job could say and even though at the end of this life I shall stand and see Him in all of His glory. God's glory is found. And listen, what God wants from all of us here today is that when we go through suffering and we discover God's glory, is that He knows, God knows, is that once you taste and see, once you grab a hold of His glory, that you'll discover that there's nothing better, there's nothing greater, there's no greater life, there's no greater joy, there's no greater fountain than the source of God's glory in our lives. And you will learn in your life and I will learn in my life through that that we should treasure His glory above all else. You'll learn that when you go through suffering, that you can go through another season of suffering because God's glory is all we need. His presence, His working among us. You become in love with Jesus again. And that's what suffering does, is it helps us refine all of the other sources that we've been leaning on so easily. When you get down into the valley of the shadow of death, you'll find how many of those sources can reach down so low. But when God's glory is present in that place, you'll discover that only He can go. Man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, can know that point of suffering in our lives and show us that He is more than enough. You say, really what God is doing on all of this in suffering? is so that you and I would be convinced on the other side of all of this to be more in love with Jesus, to look to Him, to throw our eyes to Him, to wake up every morning and call upon His name. What God is looking for in our suffering is a people that would just get hungry for Him. And what God does in suffering is to get us off of the things that we've been putting our hearts on get our idols thrown away, the things we've leaned on, and put our attention and trust on Jesus once again. Will you stand with me this morning? Oh, it's my prayer today, like Peter prayed to the church, the New Testament church, I pray today that God would help you in your suffering, that you may be glad and shout for joy when His glory is revealed.
Oh, how Jesus wants to show himself to you. I've said this more and more. Every, I'm just so convinced, and I say it even more and more, and even in light of this sermon today, that what God is looking for on this earth is a people that just love him more than anything in the world. And when you grab a hold of the picture of God's glory, oh, there's nothing better than that. There's nothing more greater than that. God wants you to have the story today and I to have the story of Job. We don't come to just church to hear about him. We don't just hear sermons and listen to sermons and hear about God's glory, hear the testimonies of other people. No, what God wants is that you and I have eyes to see his glory for ourselves. Every person in this room, God desires that for your life, my life, is to see his glory. Isn't that lovely of God that he just wants you and I to see his glory in our lives? James encouraged the church in the midst of their suffering. And he told them, he asked them, he said, are any among you suffering? Every eye closed this morning. And I ask you today, church, the same that James asked the church. Are any among you suffering? If so, would you just raise a hand with me this morning? James encouraged them that any among you suffering, he said, let them pray. Because you know what prayer does? Is it does what James told the church. You draw close to God and he'll draw close to you. And in the midst of your suffering, I want to encourage you this morning. You want to draw close to God. Would you just come this morning and pray here at the front? Just come stand here. Kneel at your seat, however it may be, while the choir comes. You just want to pray this morning. Let's pray today. Are any among you suffering today? Oh, God said, let them pray. Let them look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who endured the shame, despising it, looking towards the cross and doing it for you and I. If that's you this morning, would you just begin to call upon Jesus today? Oh, would you tell the man who is acquainted with grief and sorrows what you're going through? He knows it well. Lord, today we pray for those who are dealing with suffering in their lives, seasons of great pain and agony, Lord. Oh God, only you know, only you know, Jesus, so well that suffering. And God, I pray today that you would help them in their seasons of suffering, that they may see, God, your glory revealed, Jesus. Oh God, we, may we have the word and encouragement of Peter. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial. Help us, Lord Jesus, that we might have a shout for joy when his glory is revealed. Lord, today I pray, give us the testimony this morning, Lord, that we don't just hear about you. Oh, we see you at work in our lives every day. God, let your glory be revealed this morning. Let your glory be revealed in those who are dealing with great pain today, Father. I pray, God, you would be present, the one who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, the one who knows very well. Lord, I pray today, come. Lord, you promised today that the Spiriter, when the Comforter comes, I pray the Comforter would be present this morning. Lord, I pray that the presence of the Holy Spirit would come, give strength, give grace today, give peace this morning, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Come today, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus, this morning. Lord, we need you today. Come on, would you just call to him this morning? Be honest with him today. We need you, Jesus. Oh, we need you, Lord. 
Jesus this morning. God, help us today. Oh, Lord, redeem this thing that I'm going through that's so terrible. Turn it around for your good. Make the most of it, God. Use it for your glory, Lord. God, we thank you today. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord Jesus. God, we thank you. As the choir sings, would you just pray right where you're at this morning? Just lean on Jesus a little this morning. Is any among you suffering? Let them pray. Let them pray today.